0: Hello and welcome to B2B Better, the only podcast focused on helping B2B marketers do better marketing through content, community, and social media. My name's Jason Bradwell, and every week I sit down with Whip Smart Marketing leaders to talk about what it takes to build an audience strategy that scales from day one, and that also delivers real business results, not vanity metrics. If you've come here for theory, then you may be in the wrong place. Each episode is packed to the rafters with actionable insights and takeaways that you can put into practice today. Let me help you be better than boring. Here we go. So today on B2B Better, I'm very excited to be joined once again by Claire Kennedy, Social Media and Advocacy Manager for Forrester Research. How are you doing, Claire?
1: I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Uh, It's really glad to have you back. Um, For listeners who have been following B2B Better for a while, you'll recognize Claire's voice from our 2021 B2B Marketing Trends piece, uh, where we had Claire come on and talk a little bit about social media advocacy employee advocacy. And, uh, the episode was that the clip was so good and so well received by our audience that I had to have Claire come back so we could expand on it a little bit more. (laughs) Um, what have you been up to since, since we last spoke Claire?
1: Um, you know, just recovering from the pandemic and, you know, in, in a marketing sense, trying to really, we're always innovating, but after the pandemic, I think there's been a lot of restructuring in terms of marketing strategy and in terms of employee advocacy and thinking about uh, what our employees are dealing with and how to better serve them and help them. It's not always the most content. It's sometimes recording ahead of time and making sure that the content that matters is what they have Um, and doing refreshes when necessary, but really making sure you're meeting people where they are. If you're exhausted, they're exhausted. So not expecting the most out of everyone, and just if you see one employee who tweets for the first time, that can be their goal for the year. They tweeted, that's great, you're excited for them, and you move on to the next person. So that's been, it's been really humbling to see people try new things, but also for me to understand, to you know meet people where they are, understand that they're exhausted, they're dealing with a lot. So their concept of being advocates on social, Maybe a lot different than your perception of what they should be doing.
0: Absolutely, because we've got to remember that these people actually have day day jobs that they need to be doing yeah. alongside our expectations, right? Um, uh, on the employee advocacy front, and I remember we first started talking a year ago or so when you were right in the throes of rolling out an advocacy program uh, within Forrester, and I want to dig into that a little bit. But before we go into that, tell us. Uh, a little bit about your role at Forrester. How long have you been there for and and what do you do for them?
1: Yeah, so I was part of the acquired team from Forrester in 2019. I was originally part of Serious Decisions. So I worked there for two years and now I'm two years at Forrester. So as the combined company, we're at four. Um, I've always done organic social media. Employee advocacy is something that became kind of a need to have When I joined the company at Sears Decisions, we had a very typical just um, onboarding process for employees of, hey, this is Twitter, this is LinkedIn, this is our Instagram, this is where Sears Decisions shows up and these are like just some basic best practices. And when I took it over, because my previous manager was doing paid, social, onboarding, everything. So for her and for the company, that was you know bandwidth wise what she could handle. When I joined, I realized I would be on these onboarding calls with someone who was like a thought leader or had like a verified Twitter account. And I was like, oh, maybe they don't need this. What, what is Twitter <laughs> slide? And I started dividing it between 101, 201, and 301. And I would look at the, I would stalk the people on LinkedIn and Twitter ahead of time. And if they had outdated profiles or profiles they weren't using, you know, at all, they only used it for a resume. They got 101. <laughs> the folks that were like killing it were verified, doing really great content, kind of on their own, like self-advocating and being great brand ambassadors and content ambassadors. They got 301 on how to be better and how to do more and create different types of content like video and stuff like that. And then there is the mushy middle of the folks that were posting maybe once a month or once in a while. And I wanted to make sure I gave them the resources to be better if they wanted to, but not give them the expectations of like the 301 group. Um, And it's funny because it was working really well for individual onboardings. And then when I would do team onboardings, I would get like a, a team list and I would send out the invites like social media onboarding 101, social media onboarding 201. And I would have people come to the meeting like, what the heck? I'm 101. I'm like, hey, what's up, 101ers? <laughs> so like, for, for a team environment, especially for sales, it really incurred the folks who were joking, you know, jokingly embarrassed by it that like, you know, their colleague that they thought they were, you know, quote unquote better than, is not 301 and they're 101. It gave them that push to be like, okay, well, a couple months, I want you to give me the 201 training. Um, and for the folks that were like, hey, I'm happy. At least I made it to 101. I'm good with this that was their place, but it, it did create some healthy competition for folks who wanted to be better. And for me, I was happy that people wanted to be on social at all. So it created a really great competition and created really great social advocates. And then with GDPR, that was what really brought in the reps who were still kind of not really sure they wanted to be on social. Now they have to be. <laughs> and it was a really aha moment for me. And I developed a social selling training um that was really I talked to them and talked to their needs. Um and that's why I really recommend any marketers or any folks who want to go into employee advocacy, especially around social advocacy, have some reps that are really good friends that really respect you and that will tell you if something sucks. Because I brought my initial deck to my friends in sales and they were like, no one's gonna pay attention to this. Move this slide here, move this slide here, start with data. Or start with the pain points, talk about why they should do it, what they're missing if they don't do it, and then talk about how easy it is. Because if you start to try and tell a different story about how great this is, they don't care. <laughs> <laughs> and that really helps kind of propel me into when we got acquired. I already had all of these advocates in Sears Decisions that were now spread across different teams across the world. And there started to be little instances of forced reps that I didn't know about, who knew me, knew my name and knew my trainings. And they were reaching out saying, I want to look as cool as they do on on social media. I want my LinkedIn profile to come across as really professional. And I started doing these group trainings and then COVID hit and I did a massive social selling training. And now I'm at a point where I can kind of just let it coast. So we do, we did build our employee advocacy platform last year. Um, but that was really the culmination of all of these advocates and all these people being trained and getting to a point where we could trust that if we give them content, they won't just post all of it at once, <laughs> which is always kind of the fear is that, okay, I'll give you content, but piecemeal it. Don't just RSS feed your Twitter account. Don't post forced or content every five seconds on LinkedIn because that's an immediate turnoff and you're not actually providing value. So we we have a certain kind of, requisite level where people have to show that they're good on social and then they get access to this platform. Um, But other than curating content for that platform, a lot of it is just letting all the materials I've built up over the last four years work for me. And it's been really nice (laughs) because those those four years of building those constantly updating PowerPoints, constantly re-recording stuff was a lot of work. And now I'm at a point where it's working for me and I'm seeing employees be really confident and successful and bringing in all those leads.
0: Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what it's all about, right? Bringing in those leads <laughs> and getting tribu- and getting the attribution for those leads.
1: Attribution, absolutely.
0: <laughs> it's funny because I remember when we first started talking, which again was about a year ago, I think, I actually didn't, I tried to invite you onto the podcast then to talk about employee advocacy because I thought, you know, we were talking a little bit on Twitter and I was like, there's something here that, you know, the, the marketing world needs to hear about, and you were right in the throes, I think, of rolling this out um, <laughs> with it, within Forrester, and you were just like, "Not now, I haven't got time right now." Absolutely. Um, at some point <laughs> in the future, maybe, but but not right now. So it's so great to hear that you know, twelve months fast forward, twelve months, um, and with all this stuff that we've had to deal with as marketers and it's just as people over over the last year, mm-hmm. the, the 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 project has evolved to this point where, as you say, it's almost running itself now. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to dig a little bit into, you know, uh, kind of the ingredients that you need to, 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 to build an employee advocacy program. But before we do that, I think for you and I, um, and for some listeners, it will be fairly obvious why an employee advocacy program is needed. Um, but for anyone who, uh, is maybe a little bit unsure, unclear on how to you know, sell it internally, what would be some of the benefits that you'd, you'd kind of cite as being, um, that come from a, an employee advocacy program?
1: Yeah. So you really need to think about who you're selling it to because, I think as marketers, we assume that everyone cares about what we care about because we see the importance of it. We see the ROI, Um, but that's not the case. So you have to think about the different folks you're selling it to. So the first person may be your manager and that may be in marketing. So thinking about the brand awareness, especially if you don't have a strong brand campaign or if you're trying to rebrand or maybe soften the image of your brand or anything that You can't really commit to as a marketer. You don't want to give yourself more on your plate. A lot of us are in small teams or, you know, one man bands. Um, This is a way where you can produce content, push it out to your employees and let them tell the story. And something we've always done is let them edit their content. That may be different if you work in, you know, a bank (laughs) or a government or something where you don't really want people making stuff up or adding their own hashtags. Um, but we always have allowed folks to edit it because we want them to see the copy that we suggest and make it theirs, add their own anecdote, add their own picture, add something that if someone reads it, they don't feel like they're being sold Forester. They feel like they're in a conversation that's happening that happens to mention Forester. Um, so that's the thing, the brand awareness and also the lead generation. So we attribute everything that goes out of our platform and even internally on um, our chatter platform. So even if it's not necessarily in this platform, that's more exclusive for the folks that are really killing it on social, anyone who gets content from marketing to promote on social, it has the UTM medium of social. So it comes through as a social lead or social attribution. So we do get that attribution through lead generation, um, web traffic, any of that, because it's going on social platforms It should come through as a social attribution. And folks are already posting on social. They're probably posting the wrong links. They're uploading PDFs when they shouldn't be. Um, they may not know the correct hashtags. They may not know the right way to start that conversation. So you're giving them that platform to do that. So that's the story you tell in marketing. The story you tell sales, because they don't care about all of that, is what's the holistic selling journey that you're trying to sell to um, your clients and to your prospects? It's probably you want to show up everywhere they already are. If you have clients or prospects that are already on, on LinkedIn or on Twitter, you want to be where they are. You want to be engaging with the way, with what the content they're already posting, and you want to be showing the value that you bring, not just, hey, check out this blog, and hey, leave my profile and go fill out this contact page <laughs> and go through the system and get to a BDR and not to me your AE, but... I'm going to provide value. I'll share some content, but you come to my profile to learn and to build that relationship. And that helps for those red renewals. That helps for those those clients or those prospects that keep slipping through your hands or keep canceling your calendar invites. If you just keep showing up, popping up in their notifications, engaging with them, sharing value, building your personal brand, you end up with stronger relationships and people that will keep coming back even if they are not a fit right now, they'll think of you, they'll remember you when they have budget or they have the right business case and they'll come back. Um, So that's like the sales thing. And then if you have to get budget for the CFO, you think about that high level business case. So the money you're saving, maybe on paid ads, because you have employees, um, um, maybe if you can... Once you're attributing all of this stuff, if you can show that there's been X amount of inquiries or X amount of actual revenue built and the cost of what a platform would be against the cost of what that lead run in, that was my best selling. That's, that is always just what you showed to the CFO. Like, hey, just posting some content manually cost me X amount in time but brought in X amount of dollars and this platform doesn't even reach that. So we've more than make that up. And that usually helps sell for them. Like, okay, we will make this money back because people are generating money for us. Um, So those are the separate things. And when you build your deck, think of those in mind, move things around, even make completely different decks, completely different storylines of what you want them to think and even present that. I'm presenting this deck because I know that this is the right decision for us. It'll help sales, it'll help marketing, whatever that story is and guide them through that thought process. Don't really leave room for doubt. Make sure you cover all of their, everything that they're thinking about, which is why referencing what we said before, I really recommend having reps that you trust because even if you're presenting to a sales leader or a CSO, they've also had to talk to those sales leaders and those CSOs they know how quick their attention span is. They know what's on their plate. And they also know how to talk to sales leaders if they're in sales. So they're gonna know how many slides you should have, how much, how much data maybe you should have. You need to pull up some extra references. If there's a specific publication they really trust, <laughs> whatever you need to do, have that ahead of time, pass it by some people you trust. Don't be offended to tell you it sucks. You can cry a little bit, push through it. <laughs> and then you'll also have people that are excited and advocate for you. Like if you have reps and sales managers that have worked with you to build this, when you're lifting it higher up, they're the whispers that that CSO or that sales leader will hear. And you really do want sales on board from the get-go because you don't want sales leaders or CSOs thinking that you're stealing reps times and that you're pulling them into a sales trainer or pulling them into a something that takes them away from selling. You want to convince them from day one that this helps them be better sellers and it's not a marketing benefit because even though it does ultimately benefit you you need to treat the sales relationships as benefiting them and it's not about marketing ego and that really really helps seal that deal
0: mm. i think you touched on a really important point there um about working with reps that you trust because i think it's a uh, you know, particularly when you're trying to prove the concept. And this doesn't just apply to employee advocacy. It it applies to lots of different marketing endeavors that Mm -hmm. involve other parts of the business. Um, ABM, for example, you know, you want to work with people who outside of marketing believe in what it is that you're trying to achieve. So that like, you know, you you, you hit the nail on the head, you're building those advocates for your advocacy program. Mm -hmm. Um, And that kind of brings me a little bit onto my next question, which is, you know, how do you get started in building out an employee advocacy program? What does an MVP look like? You know, you've got that kind of core cool group of people who are bought into the idea and want to work with you in developing it. What are the other kind of components that you need in place uh, to, to
1: get started? Yeah. So I think the first thing is to build a best practice deck. So just having a resource available, like I said, having maybe a 101 or having a, beginner, intermediate, advanced, whatever that looks for you or having just beginner and advanced. Maybe you don't have any mushy middle folks, um, but understanding like just a basic level understanding of social media and stuff that they can do, like easy updates to their profile, maybe adding some featured media on their profile, but not anything content related and be like, if you're interested in content, I recommend checking out this deck and having a deck just on content. So again, no expectations, just here are great content examples. It can be within your company, it can be outside. Don't go towards thought leadership or, you know, social media gurus or whatever, because that tends to turn people off. Give them content that seems accessible and seems like an easy step up. So someone that maybe posted a paragraph and posted a picture of them and their dog and they're like, Hey, I'm going to talk about, you know, great employee experience. And, you know, this is, this is the thing in the blogs and the comments something easy they can do even if it's just a copy and paste from like the website and it's just showing that they can start posting and then having that advanced training of the people that you know are killing it. And you're like, you know what? I think you can be more of a thought leader. I think that you should start posting more personal content. I thought, I think you should start maybe making some videos, making some stories, whoever those people are making something for them. Um, And then Asking, like sending out even like a survey or reaching out to people that you don't see that are social and just asking like, hey, no judgment, but what is holding you back from posting? Is it time? Is it they don't care? Are you scared? A lot of the time, even if it's executives, it's that fear that they're not going to come across as smart, especially for sales folks. They're selling something they didn't create. They're, They're selling someone else's content. They're selling someone else's product. In marketing and product, we, we kind of feel more confident to be posting stuff. We're also posting it from the brand. We're not posting it from our faces. When I post on the Twitter account, it's not my face there, it's Forrester's logo. So I can feel confident to post. Sales reps are posting from their profiles that they have to then sell to. So you may have to just give them confidence that they know a lot more than they think they do. If they're able to sell something well, they're able to market it well as well. So it may just be giving confidence and understanding where those pain points are. Because I've also had one-on-ones where folks were like, I wasn't comfortable talking about this in the team meeting, but I actually like don't think I come across very smart or I'm really afraid that I'll say the wrong thing and a client will think I'm dumb. And so walking through those fears, you don't have to do one-on-ones with everyone, but finding the people that clearly want to do better, but fears of holding them back and also developing those relationships with people will help them feel compelled to be like, Hey, can I just, can you real quick? I was thinking of posting this on LinkedIn. I seen another set of eyes, or can I show you the video that I recorded and let you know if it, if it sounds good, but knowing that you are an advocate and you always are an open door helps people start to feel comfortable because you may talk to people and they're like, I don't care. And then a year later, they're like, okay, Now I have to care (laughs) because I got moved to a new industry or I got moved to a new geo and I don't know anything and I need to start from square one. And if you kind of give off the, even unintentionally give off the idea that you're disappointed in them or don't think they're good enough on social or think it's annoying that they don't care about social and that comes across in your tone, they're not going to feel comfortable to reach out a year later and say, raise their hand and be like, Hey, now I want to do this. But if you leave an open door and you're always like, I'm here to enable you, to help you feel more confident, to help you sell better on social at whatever level you want, you can come back 10 years from now, I will help you. That creates this kind of seed of trust and respect. So they know that whether they want to, they don't know how to log into their Twitter account whether they wanna make a video on LinkedIn that they can trust you to not judge them and that they'll feel comfortable building that, that presence with you. Um, So it's a lot of just building advocacy from the beginning and finding those people that will champion you something that worked really well. And this again, depends on budget. This actually came out of our very limited marketing budget at the time, but we had something we called a social star competition. So every quarter we picked two people. One is a social star who was killing it, doing awesome stuff. And one was a rising star. And that could be anyone from making a Twitter account and posting a couple of times that quarter because that was so out of character for them and something we knew took a lot of guts or someone that maybe made a video that maybe it quote unquote didn't do great and maybe got no views, but they tried something new and we wanted to reward them for doing something out of their comfort zone to better themselves and to better their relationship with their clients. And it would be announced at the quarterly meeting or maybe, you know, on, on, um, an internal or internet, They got, I wrote a little handwritten card. That's a very me thing to do. Back when we were in the office, I'd write a handwritten card. They would get an actual star <laughs> and it was like glittery paper cut out. Um, and then they would get a gift card and yes, sales loves gift cards, but it was also the recognition from their peers. And the fact that sales managers would be like congratulating them And that often rising stars became social stars because they had that, like, people. and it was so great walking around the office and seeing little stars all around. Like, as more and more people felt motivated and compelled to be like, oh, all I have to do is try and I'm up for this award. So that was really what I did before I even created content for employees. I, I tried to just create that environment and that community where they wanted to do better and they wanted to help each other. And then once that was kind of settled in for a couple quarters, then I started pre-writing content. And I started with our events because that's an easy place to start. If you're at an event or if you have someone speaking at an event or a webinar or something like that, that's an easy you know, piece of content that has an expiration date. <laughs> and you create some pre-written content, add the Google UTMs that you use to make sure that there's attribution, give them some image options, and let that, and start to see that do well and start to see people feel confident posting The people that maybe didn't feel comfortable, comfortable before are now like, great copy and paste. Got it. <laughs> but that starts. And then maybe that post is what gets them a social star. So a rising star. So it's really creating that advocacy and creating that comfortability first, making sure people know that you're an advocate and you're a partner for them. And then seeing how that kind of bubbles up into maybe doing a program or maybe, um, starting to write free written content and maybe seeing if it makes sense to add on a platform or add on a program where you can curate that a little better, but it definitely starts with building those initial relationships.
0: When, when you're, when you're starting out this program, and and I think, you know, you touched a little bit there on a lot, actually quite a lot on, on kind of human psychology, because, um, you're right. You know, for us marketers who are, you know, one step removed, putting ourselves in front of potentially tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people who are following us on social media every single day, um, it becomes increasingly less scary to hit that publish button and, and put something mm-hmm. out there into the world um, for everyone to, to see and to judge. But you're right, as an individual who perhaps is not just worried on, you know, coming across as looking a little bit, a little bit dumb, but also um am I going to say something that's going to put the company in jeopardy? You know, am I right. going to say something that's going to put off one of our customers and then suddenly the CRO is getting a call and, and they're saying, you know, one of our sales reps has said this on social media and we're going to pull the contract. Like, you know, that's a very extreme mm-hmm. version of what could possibly happen. Yeah. But if you don't know, you know, if you've never done this before, it is kind of where your mind may may start to go to. I want to talk a little bit about like just logistically how you facilitated um, the sharing of content, particularly in the early days. Um, you, you mentioned that you, that you now have a platform that you're using to kind of pre populate with content that people then can grab and and edit Mm -hmm. and make their own and then publish out into the world. Was that there from the beginning? How, or, or if not, how did you, um, give, how did you fuel that fire? How did you give people content right at the early stages of building out this program?
1: Yeah. So we had an internet, and basically I manually would have entire pages dedicated to like eBooks, blogs, um, things like that. And it was, it would take up a lot of time, but again, it was that I made that judgment call on this is worth my time to do this. I would block out an entire day or I would cancel meetings, or I would rearrange stuff by manager to make sure that that had a priority to at least get that content out. I would also, you know, delete the things when events ended or webinars needed to be updated. It was a lot of manual work and it was kind of a nightmare, honestly, but it was worth it because like I said, now at this point where we were able to then a year later advocate for a platform. So we had a platform that's now defunct that was LinkedIn Elevate. Um, and that was like a very small purchase compared to like what sales pays for like Sales Navigator and what, what we pay for like pay for some of our email platforms and things like that. So it was a really easy sell to just explain how much you know money I was technically spending on the time I was spending um, and then how cheap this platform was and allowed us to kind of, it wasn't enterprise level there was only a couple hundred seats, um, but we were able to kind of get a taste for what's possible. And now the platform we're on can't name it. Um, it's more enterprise level. It allows us to be very targeted. So folks before could only follow um, just co- just content groups like ebooks, webinars. Now they can follow within their region and within a topic area, also within a content topic, so they can follow webinars, they can follow healthcare, they can follow CIO services within EMEA, and they don't have to see anything else. I mean, they have to see brand awareness because everyone is, I made it required. So no matter matter where you are in the company, you will see brand awareness content because obviously, um, and some of our products um, are also required viewing. So no one can opt out of those. <laughs> but other than that, folks are allowed to self-select the content that they want. So it's, it was a big sell. It was a lot more money. But I had these years of data of, you know, the leads they were pulling in, the advocates. I reached out to sales and said, hey, if you don't have a platform, how much does this impact your day-to-day life? And I got those quotes and I pulled those into my slide, <laughs> pulled those into my my deck of, These are sales managers saying it would greatly impact their day to day and their ability to sell if they don't have a platform. So, you know, again, building those relationships to when you have to buy a solution and you're able to pull in people and be like, Hey, can I quote you in this? And they're like, absolutely. And you have sales folks even saying, if you need money, I'll give you some budget because this is worth it for us to have something that makes it easier for us. So it's a lot of that back end work and, you know, if I could tell Claire, <laughs> even three years ago, that she will never have to, you know, manually put in all of this content and delete it, you know, when the event ends or, you know, change the image and do all this stuff and manage all of these internet pages. I just, I wish I could tell her it, it, it's worth it. And it's <laughs> worth the stress and it's worth the sweat because now I'm at a place where I'm not doing that anymore. Um, but it's really, even if you can't manage doing that for all content, figuring out your, your best bets. So again, events, um, general brand awareness, if there's a specific slogan or a specific brand campaign you're doing that you want more emphasis on any eBooks or gated assets, um, and then maybe your heavy hitters. So like a blog that your CEO wrote or a blog that you know, is like evergreen and will always do great. So things that you don't have to worry about having a really short, lead time um and then also in terms of policy that was part of our onboarding from the get-go but i had i always linked to it in every possible way anywhere when i'm te- even I'm teaching social selling it's linked there but i always give a basic overview and i give like you know five tenants one like don't be an a-hole don't be rude don't start arguments if you see someone saying anything bad about the company do not defend us screenshot sent to the social team (laughs) like that's just from the get-go i always emphasize that um and explain things like don't share ip that isn't available on a blog or like if it's a gated asset you cannot share it because the point is that we're getting their information for the purpose of giving them information so if you're just giving it away on social that's an issue um and like Not sharing client information, not sharing finance, you know, just the general things, but giving them like the bad stuff. And usually they're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. And then explain the good stuff. So our policy does not say you can't talk about your family. Our policy does not say you can't share your insights about how you translated this content, things like that, because that's what they do in their day-to-day sales life. They digest a piece of content and they tell it to their client and the way it matters to them. So that kind of stuff they do daily, absolutely do that on social, but people are typically not going to read like a three page or even more social policy document. So just tell them the things that like, absolutely they cannot do and what the and like what you can do. Cause typically people, when they hear social policy, they get really scared. So you want to make sure that you're saying you're allowed to do all of this stuff as long as you don't do this stuff and positioning it that way because the people that are fearful will not be less fearful if they hear policy but they you want to make sure that they feel encouraged and they have the list of things they can't do but it's typically reasonable things (laughs) like not sharing stock information like (laughs) stuff like that that is like yeah of course i wouldn't do that um but making sure that again you're you're positioning it in a very open doorway, like we want you to feel comfortable and social. These are the things that are a no, but these are all the things that you can do. And we advocate, and we want to help you with this stuff.
0: Oh, so annoying, because there are so many more questions I want to ask you on this. <laughs> and I'm going to have to bring you back onto a third episode. Um, because I, I, we could go, I could talk to you so much more about, I, I've got some many more questions to ask you about, you know, how do you for instance, measure right the effectiveness of of your uh, employee advocacy efforts. I imagine in the early days it's a case of just keeping your eyes peeled on you know the the, the social media platforms facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and just noting down the colleagues that are posting um, and then that gets a more sophisticated as you bring in new tools but we haven't got time we haven't got time for it today. I want to ask one final question on employee advocacy um which is if there was one tip, one thing that you could go back and tell uh, the Claire of 2018, who was starting to build this program, um, if you could give her one tip to to put into practice, then that would have saved you a lot of headache later down the line. What would that be?
1: Yeah, it would definitely be um, lower your expectations to meet where people are. So not lower your expectations because people aren't good enough, but you expect more of people than they can give. And that I think is natural for all of us marketers. We we see the potential in people. We see the potential in content and in the company. And we want all of these amazing things to happen, but you're still working on human behavior. You're still working on different personalities, different fears, and people that are doing something new for the first time people using social is not comfortable for everyone it's not even comfortable for some marketers even social media marketers don't have sometimes don't have personal profiles so even though we see why social is important we need to give people time and give them grace and be happy where they are and where they want to grow so i almost but didn't burn i almost burnt some bridges because i i pushed people because I was excited for their potential and they saw it as them not being good enough where they are. And I had to go back and have conversations and apologize and just say, when I say, I want you to do this, it's the little passionate heart inside of me that is so excited for your potential. It's not, you need to do this. Otherwise I don't respect you. (laughs) (laughs) So really having those conversations with yourself on, you can have personal internal goals for people, and have very clear expectations and even ask them, what are your goals for social? And those are the expect- new expectations you have for people. So I, I got to the point with my reps where they would email me their first tweet, or they would screenshot that they got two likes in a post and we would cheer together and get excited because for them, that was growth. And so don't, you know, even if you start to see some really great results, don't like ruin all of that by expecting more. Be happy with people where they are, be happy if they grow, be happy if they don't, just be there as an advocate, as an enabler, as a friend, and as a partner, and that will over time be a lot more successful when you have a whole company of advocates versus the five people that you think are, you know, doing the best.
0: What a great note to end on. Claire, thank you so much for coming on to B2B Better again. We'll have to bring you on for an episode three, like <laughs> I say, because there is so much more to unpack. I sent you about 15 questions, and I think we got through four or five of them, so there's definitely a lot of material <laughs> left to, to, to work through. Before I let you go, tell me, um, if I had to interview someone else on B2B Better about social media marketing and B2B, employee advocacy, or any of the other topics that we love, uh, who would it be?
1: Hmm. I I may call out my old boss, Katie Cacciani. She's now in the agency world, but she worked in B2B for almost a decade. And I think it'd be really interesting to hear her differences in the B2B world and now working more in the agency and just her entire career. Because she started as a one-man band, brought me on another person went through an acquisition. I think there's a lot that she can talk about in terms of social media and really the growth over the last decade. Great.
0: You'll have to send me a detail so I can reach out to her. Definitely. Claire, thank you so much. Tell us, um, where can people learn more about you? Where can they follow you and reach out to you if they've got any more questions about employee advocacy and B2B?
1: Yeah. So I'm at Claire A. Kennedy underscore on Twitter, and you can also find me as just Claire Kennedy on LinkedIn And I have a website, claireakennedy.com if you want to do a workshop with me on social media or personal branding. Or I also do free workshops for um, schools and students. So definitely reach out to me on there.
0: That's great. I'll drop the links to uh, your social profiles and to your website in the description of this episode. Claire Kennedy, thank you so much again for coming on to B2B Better.
1: Thank you so much again. This was so much fun.
0: That's it for this episode of B2B Better. If you've enjoyed it, you can check out my previous episodes via the link in the description. Or if you fancy getting a nice hot steaming mug of B2B marketing advice on how to build an audience for your brand, you can sign up to my newsletter, The B2B Byte, which goes out every Monday. I'll drop the link to that also in the description of this episode. See you next time.